Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. So we're going to talk today about faith over fear, continuing from last week's message with fear, faith, and the middle ground. So first let me pray and then we'll jump into the Word. Father, I thank you for bringing us here together again to this week to worship you, to hear from you, to be led, just to, to be in your presence, Father. I thank you for um, blessing us throughout this week. I thank you just for your outpouring, the outpouring of your spirit over us. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. I thank you, Lord, for thinking through my mind, speaking through my lips. I pray none of me but all of you. Father, I pray illumination, inspiration, and revelation of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just a little review of last week for those that didn't hear it. So we talked last week about fear and faith. Um, we talked about how fear... Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the, the enemy of faith. So fear gives you your worst, the things that you don't desire. Um, faith gives you the things, you know, Hebrews 11, 11 one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Fear gives you the things that you're not hoping for, right? Fear, um, fear gives you those things that you don't desire. Like I said last week, fear is the substance of despair. It gives you those things that you're, you're just, you're dreading, you're, you're not looking forward to. God is concerned about our fears. I think the, the statistic is they say, usually some people say it's about 366 times in the Bible, God says, fear not, right? It's a lot of times, that's enough fear nots for a whole year, in a leap year. <laughs> so God is concerned about our fears. He can, he's concerned about our minds, he's concerned about what we think about, what we worry about, right? I think it's a Mark eleven twenty three says, do not be anxious for anything. Right, so he's concerned about what you're worrying, what you're worrying about. He's concerned about what you're thinking about, which I'll, I'll you know, we'll get into more of this as we go on. But um, you know, Joshua, I think it's Joshua one seven or one nine, something like that, says meditate on the word day and night. So he's concerned about what you're thinking about, what you're worrying about, what you're praying about. He's concerned about our minds. So go with me to Romans. 12. actually, go with me to if you have your Bibles. Go with me to Romans 8 first. We'll go there first. So like I said last week, I'm probably going to be jumping around the Bible a lot. So if you're not used to that, well, you're going to have to get used to it. <laughs> Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15 uh, says, For you did not receive the spirit of fear, I mean the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in the order that we may also be glorified with him. So right here, God is saying through Paul that we weren't given a spirit of slavery, of bondage, to fear, like uh, again, again. So prior to that, we had, we had fear, right? Prior to getting saved, prior to being to salvation, we had fear. We had fear of death. Right, most people still fear death. Even after you get saved, you still fear death. Right, people are afraid of death. So, like I said last week, the number one thing to fear is uh, the the number one root of fear is death. So, we are afraid. We were given. We were not given a spirit spirit of 
slavery again to fear. So God is, like I said, concerned about our fears. He's concerned about what we're what we're concerned about. So we were not given this spirit of slavery again to fear, but a spirit of adoption. We received the spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry out of Father. So God adopted us into his family, right? And so by adopting us to, into his family, he took away our fear. He took away the bondage that holds us back in fear. And he gave us, you know, there's a the passage, I forgot the scripture, but it says, you know, the spirit of this, the, where, the, the, where the spirit is, there's freedom, there's liberty, right? The spirit of life. Second um, Timothy chapter, actually we can go there. Second Timothy chapter, Second oh, Timothy chapter one, I believe it is. Verse seven. I'm sorry. Second Timothy chapter one, verse five. Fan into the flame, fan into flame the gift of God, right? So stir up the gift. Fan into the flame the gift of God. King James says, "Fan stir up the gift." Second Timothy verse. Here we go. I am reminded us of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Right? So Paul is writing to Timothy. He's saying, I am, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. So Timothy was special in that. He was a, he was a third generation um, believer. So his, his, his grandmother, his, his mother, and now him. Right? So he had a faith that wasn't common then. You got to remember, this is not too long after Jesus was resurrected and went um, went to sit at the right hand of the Father. So this wasn't common to have three generations, right, of, of faith. So he's saying, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother. And he says, for this reason, I'm reminded for you to stir, stir up the gift or fan into the flame, the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Your faith. That was that was the gift of God. So Stir, stir up, you got to stir up your faith. You got to stir up the gift of God that, that was in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So here again, we're seeing, God is saying, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a spirit, actually, I've given you a spirit of power. The stuff that we're afraid of is the stuff that we give power to. And God is saying, that shouldn't have power over you. It should be the opposite. You should have power over it, right? So he's saying, Stir up those gifts that were given to you, and not to fear, but to have power and love and self-control. So go with me to go with me to Numbers chapter thirteen. Numbers chapter thirteen. I'm gonna show you guys something about fear. Numbers chapter thirteen. Numbers chapter thirteen. I believe it's verse seventeen says, um, Moses sent them to spy out the land. Is everybody there? Okay, just making sure. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the, to the Najib and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring in the bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time when this season is ripe for 
for uh, first right for grapes, right? So I'll stop there and then we'll go on. So right there, Moses sent spies into the land of Canaan. They were going to spy out the promised land, right? So he's like saying, go up there and see see what it's like. And, you know, God has told us he's going to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Go go see what it's like. Go see go see what it looks like. Go go see are there trees? Are there not trees? Is it barren? Is it is it fruitful? Is it you know all these different things, right? Um, so he picks these, uh, I believe it was 12 spies, right? One leader from each of the tribes. And he sends them out into the land. So they go out to the land, they spy it out. Um, and then you jump down to verse 25. So at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron to tell all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruits. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Najib, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites that dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Right? So, if we go back... Moses never asked them to find out if it was, if the people were in there were strong or weak. He just asked them to go spy out the land, right? He never asked them to say, oh, well, you know, um, are they strong? Are they weak? Can we take them, right? But automatically they came in there like, oh, it has all these great things, but, you know, um, there's, 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 there's this, this, this country, this this um, civilization's here, and this country's here, and this one's here, and I don't think we can do it, right? So, but Caleb, if you jump to 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devour, devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are a great height. And they're, you know, they're saying that there's giants in the land. There's, there's all these people that we can't take. We can't do it. So what I want you to think about, and I'm using this as an illustration here, is to consider the source of the people that you're listening to. Right? So when, when fear comes, when, when people come with fear and they come with different things, or, or even if you're just telling people like, hey, I got this idea, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, and people are coming to you and they're giving you certain suggestions, you want to consider the source of where it's coming from. Because these people, besides Caleb and Joshua, which we find out later, they didn't have faith in what God can do. Now, these are the same people that they were, they were fed bread from heaven. They watched God part the Red Sea. They were delivered out of the hands of, of the Pharaoh from Egypt. And yet they're saying, we can't take the land because there's giants in the land. But you just watched God part the Red Sea and you're saying you can't take the land because there's a couple of giants, right? But J Caleb and Joshua are saying, no, we can do this, right? Um, so consider the source that you're hearing things from. When people come and they talk to you and they're, and they're giving you um, advice, um, just Always consider where it's coming from, right? Consider, are, are, are they really in faith about certain things, right? Because um, a lot of times people want to give you their opinion when you didn't ask for it, <laughs> right? Like, like Moses never said, I don't, Moses 
never said, can we take the land? Tell me, go up there and tell me if we can take the land. He never said that. He said, just go tell me what it looks like. Go, go and describe it to me. Tell me what the fruit looks like. Tell me what the plants look like. Tell me what, you know, what the land looks like. He never said, oh, tell me who's there. Don't, you know, he just said, like, tell me what's there. So it's like a, a general, right? A general doesn't go into battle blind. He knows he can take it. He goes into battle because he knows he can take the land. But he still wasn't, he doesn't want to go in there blind. He wants to know which way to go. Should we go this way? Is there a weak point here? Is there? So he never asked him, come back and tell me if we can take it. Because that's not your job. You're not the general. I am, right? I'm the leader. Moses was the leader of the people of Israel. So he was saying, I already know. He already knew that they can take it. So he was asking them, just go tell me what it looks like so I can come up with a plan. Not for you guys to come in and say, oh, we can't take the land. So consider the source, right? So if, if, if it was coming from Moses, then it might be different. But it's coming from the, the, the spies who, you know, they had their own opinions for why they couldn't take the land. Something that he never even asked them to do. So like I said, consider the source and those things. Um, if we jump down a little bit further. So verse uh, chapter 14, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation. So the people are like, the people were just like, oh God, we, you know, why did the Lord bring us here? Why are we, you know, we're going to die here now. He brought us here to die. All these things, we should just go back to Egypt. And so then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of all the people of Israel and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, <clears throat> who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows in milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear for the people of the land, fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So twice he told them, don't fear. Don't be afraid. We got this. The Lord has made them bread for us. He's, he's taken away their protection. All these things that you guys said, oh, there, there's strongholds and there's this city and this city and this city. They're saying the Lord has taken away their protection. So don't fear. But what happens? The people, they got into fear. They got, they got more into fear. And that, so when you resist fear, nine times out of ten, fear is going to resist you back. Right? So they got more into fear. So then they said, then all the congregation said to stone, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, right? So they got so upset and they were so afraid. They were like, no, they're not going to lead us into death. So we're going to kill them. We're going to stone them, right? So you got to be careful when you're, when you're talking to certain people and when you're, you're, you're sharing certain things with people, especially things that you're afraid of, because fear will resist you. Like, um, a lot of times, like P, I remember PD saying this a long time ago, like a lot of times the messages that you hear or the messages that you preach, the devil's going to test you on, right? And so a perfect example of that was this week. I had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of testing. Um, uh, quick story. My, so um, I preached Sunday. I went to, I'm off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I went to work Wednesday. So Wednesday, I'm at work. I'm talking to my manager. So we're having a conversation, we're talking and everything. And then um, he goes, he goes, well, uh, we'll talk when I get back. I got to go see, I just got called. I got to go see the boss. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, I, you know, I go back to doing what I'm doing. And then 
Um, probably about 15, 20 minutes later, I get an email and says that, you know, my manager is no longer with the company. And we were like, so of course, everybody in the everybody in my department was like, like they came running to my office like, Dave, did you hear what happened? And I'm like, I just read my email. And they're like, yo, I don't know what we're gonna do. And then like my uh my counterpart, she's like, we don't have no, nobody has our back anymore. This is a because he used to he did a lot of stuff for us. He puts, you know, like he he did, he fought a lot for us. And she's like, I don't know what we're gonna do. You know, nobody has our back anymore. We we just we're in trouble. I don't know what to do. Right. And so now I'm like, uh, God, did I because everybody knows I just transferred this to this position. So now I'm like, did I make the wrong decision? <laughs> Like, uh, did I miss God on this one? I don't, I don't know. Cause like, are we next? You know, that, that stuff starts coming, right? So fear starts creeping in. And then I was like, no, the devil is a liar. Like you said that you supply all my needs. You said, you know, I started quoting scriptures. So, um, but again, like I said, fear will come for you. Like, just like I said last week, fear will come for you, you know? And that's exactly what happened. Like fear came for me. Like, hey, you, you, let's see if you really believe what you say. This is what I'm going to do, you know, and, and, you know, and so I was like, no, we're not going to do this. We're not like, and, you know, she was all upset. And then my other, um, the other guy that I work with, he's, a, uh, he's another supervisor. He's all upset and everybody's like, oh. and I was like, listen, so I had to shut it down because I was like, no, we're not going to get into fear about this stuff. So, you know, I started quoting my scriptures and I'm telling them, I'm like, no, oh, we're fine, guys. We're good. And then so I called the the. My manager's manager, and um, and uh, I just was like, "Hey, can you come down and talk to us about you know what happened and whatever?" Because everybody's afraid, and so a lot of times people are afraid because they don't know, right? Most of the time, you're afraid of the unknown more than anything else. So he's like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." So he came down. He talked to us first, the managers and the, the supervisors, and he's just like, "Hey, you know." He's like, I don't want you guys to think that I'm just going to come in and just start firing everybody. He's like, you know, there was a lot of things going on that he didn't do, that he needed to do, and what have you. So he was like, you guys are fine. You guys are doing an excellent job. This is just something that we had to do. And so I, for everybody else, like, I was already like, okay, I'm already good. But for everybody else that, you know, kind of calmed their their fears. Um, so what I what I tell people now is and like I said last week is when fear comes you got to get the word you got to get the word so because fear and faith fear faith is the opposite of fear faith is the enemy of fear so when fear comes you speak the word over it you don't just sit back and oh you know and get into despair and then to worry just like we talked about with the illustration of Peter where you know if he stayed in fear he would have just kept sinking right he would have just kept sinking while he was walking on the water but because he got out of fear and he went to the word, the word, you know, he was saved. And so you got to do the same thing. When fear comes, you got to go to the word. You got to call on Jesus. You got to go to the word. So um, same thing here. So like I was, I said all that to say, um, when fear comes, you're going to resist it and it's going to fight back. The devil's going to fight back. He doesn't want you to have what, you know. He doesn't want you to have that life and life more abundantly. So how do we fight back with the word? So let's look at, let's go there first. Job chapter one, Job chapter one, or job, PD says job, <laughs> job chapter one. I used to say job when I was a kid too though. 
It's just like, it's Job. Where did Job come from? Um, Job chapter 1, verse 13. So everybody kind of knows the the story of Job. Uh, Quick recap of the first half is, you know, Satan went to Job. I mean, Satan went to God and and God said, you know, have you tried Job? And Satan's like, no, I can't because you've been protecting him. God's like, I haven't protected him. So go do what you want to, you know, do whatever you want to do. Because I know he's not going to curse me. He's faithful. So Satan's allowed to do this. And then so we kind of jump in at the end. So this is what Satan does. So now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brothers, in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck them down. And the, ser- and their ser- and the servants with the edge of the sword. And I am Alone have I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them all. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and behold a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you so talk about when it rains it pours (laughs) like while somebody's coming to tell you like hey everything you got just burned up somebody else comes and say hey by the way you know um (laughs) So this stuff has been stolen. Oh, and while he's telling you that, then somebody else comes and say, hey, by the way, um, your kids are dead. And then somebody else comes and say, hey, by, like, you know, we talk about, oh, man, when it rains, it pours. But, like, I mean, come on. All in the same, like, the, the, the man barely finished speaking before another one came to tell him that something else worse happened. Right? So, but then the thing that I like is, let's, so look at Job's response, right? And so, so then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So, somebody's coming and telling you that everything you've known, everything you've ever had, everything you've ever worked for, including your children, is gone. And your response is to fall down and worship. I mean, that's a le- I think that's a lesson for all of us is like when when things get bad and I don't think it can get any worse than that. Our response should not be to be sad and to be in despair, and to, but to fall down and worship because we learn later on that because Job did this and a lot of other things and he never cursed God and he remained faithful. He was given double what he had previously. Right. Your response always to fear, to, to, to worry, to anything should be just to worship, to get into the word. So go with me to, so how do we get into the word? How do we build our faith? Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. Is this blessing anyone today? It's blessing me. Preaching myself happy. <laughs> um, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 says this the lord thus says the lord curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength so before we go there before i continue 
Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh strength. How many people trust in man more than they trust in God? Right? How many people are like, I know what the Bible says, but the doctor said, right? I know what the Bible says, but Alan said, right? But cursed is the man who trusts in man. You know, the, there's, there's another verse that says, let every man be a liar and let God be true. Right? So it doesn't matter who it is. Let every man be a liar and let God be true. So in this instance, you shouldn't be trusting in man. You should be trusting in the Lord. Right? He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land. So clearly we see by trusting in man, nothing good comes out of it. Right? On the reverse side, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For his leaves remain green and is not anxious, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So this is where we should be, right? We should be, we should be trusting in the Lord because if we trust in the Lord, we're like a tree planted by it stream of water. When things dry up, when things get bad, when things end up like Job, God forbid, but things end up that bad, we still bear fruit. We're still, our, our leaves still remain green. We're not anxious in the year of the drought, right? Because a river never stops, the rivers never dry up because they're, they're fed from the ocean. They're fed from the mountains. They're fed from, you know, they never dry up. So, we're not worried about the drought. When everybody else is like, man, it's, it's dry out here. You know, it's getting bad. It's getting bad. You know, I, um, you know, just recently, 2008, right? Everybody was, man, it's getting bad. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do about this. The recession's coming. We shouldn't be moved by that. We shouldn't be moved by our circumstances because we are like, if we're trusting the Lord, we're like that tree planted by water, right? I think in 2008 was, was it? No. It was 2010 when we got our race. No, it was later than that. It was later than that. So, but um, I, I did get a raise in 2000. You weren't there. <laughs> but, you know, in those things, like, there was times where things were bad. And, you know, God, because we I trusted in God, because I trusted in the Lord, when everybody else was falling, I was doing, I was prospering, right? When everybody else was, when things weren't working out, I was like that tree planted by the rivers because faith and trust in the Lord, or you can say faith in the Lord, it makes you like that tree planted by the waters and your leaves remain green. You're never anxious because you don't have to be, right? Because um, Mark, I think it's Mark 11.30. No, I forgot the verse. But he says, you know, don't be anxious for anything. He clothes the lilies of the field and, you know, the birds of the air. And so you're not anxious for anything. It's just the same way they don't want for anything, you don't want for anything either. So um, go with me now to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. 
And he asked them, what are you, what are you arguing about with them? <clears throat> and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So this man, he has his son. Um, most people say he, the son was epileptic because those are similar signs to someone who's epileptic, right? But um, we know that it's, it's, it's demonic. It's a demonic force that's causing these things. So this man brings his son to the, to the disciples. So Jesus at this time was on the mountain, you know, the mountain of transfiguration. This is when he, he's talking to God and, and God says, you know, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And they're like, they're like, they're arguing back and forth because I imagine they're, they're like, the disciples probably arguing amongst themselves saying like, hey, yo, I tried to cast it out. It ain't work for me. And you're like, yo, you ain't do it right. You got to do it this way. And you, you know, and then they all arguing like, oh, because before this, they were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. And then, and then all of a sudden they get to this one and they're like, it's not working. So they're arguing amongst themselves. The, the man is like, what are y'all doing to my son? It's not, you know, all these things. So, um. Jesus comes down like, what are you guys arguing about? So then they're like, he's like, I brought this, my son to your disciples and they couldn't do anything, basically, right? And so Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring it to me. So Jesus is kind of like, like, you guys still haven't got it yet, right? Because if we go back a little bit, jump back a little bit, we're going to jump back to chapter, it's chapter seven, I believe. No, we'll just go to the other one. I wrote down the wrong one. So we go to Luke 9. Right? Just hold your places in Mark chapter 9. And then we'll go to Luke 9. So Luke 9, verse 1. Same passage, right? Um, well, same, same story, different passage. Uh, so, and he called out the 12. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So they're bringing the, they had power over all demons, not just like this one or this one or that one. So that Jesus is like, I'm, 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 I don't understand. Like, how are you so faithless? I gave you power. I already gave you the power that you need, right? So if we look, we go to jump down to go back to Mark chapter nine, verse twenty, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, "Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him?" And he said, "From child, and and he said, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us." And Jesus said to him, "If if you can, all things are possible who, for one who believes." Immediately the father. Of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out 
by anything but prayer. Right? So the father, the father was didn't have any faith, right? He was like, if you can, you know, like he brought the kid, he brought him, because he brought him to the disciples, they couldn't do anything. Then he brought him, so now he's already discouraged. Then he brought him to, to Jesus and he's like, if they couldn't do it, I don't think you can either. I don't think you can do anything. But if you can, you know, have mercy on us. And now Jesus has got a little, he got a little, <laughs> a little righteous, a little indignant. He's like, if you can, what do you mean if you can? All things are possible for, for one who believes. So all things are possible if you believe. It ain't got nothing to do with me. It's you. If you don't believe, then nothing's going to happen. You got to have faith. And then, so immediately the father gets convicted. And he's like, I, I do believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so the minute he confessed, I believe, is the minute that Jesus was able to cast out the demon. Right? Because he, he had to confess first. He had to, before that, his confession before that was, I, I can't do anything. He can't, I can't do anything with them. Nobody can, the disciples can't do anything with them. Your disciples can't do anything with them. You, I'm not even sure you can do anything with them. That was his confession. And so based on his confession, that's what he got. He never got any results. But the minute he changed his confession and said, I believe, was the minute that his circumstances changed. Right? And Jesus was able to, to move on his behalf. So then the disciples were like, well, how come we couldn't do it? Because we know you, you said you gave us all power, but we couldn't do it. So Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out but anything by prayer. Some, some translations say prayer and fasting, right? Jesus wasn't talking about the demon couldn't be driven out. Because we saw already that the demon, he gave them power over all demons. It was their faith. They, that kind of faith cannot be driven out by any, or I should say lack of faith cannot be driven out by anything other than prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting puts you in a position to, to receive from God. It crucifies your flesh. Because we saw earlier, the man who trusts in the flesh is, is cursed, right? The man who trusts in man, trusts in the flesh is cursed. So how do you break that curse? How do you break, break that, that, that trust in your flesh? How do you break that trust in man? By prayer and fasting, right? Because prayer, prayer puts you in communication with God. Fasting breaks down your flesh. So that you can hear from God and that you can, He can move and get you into faith. Because if it's one thing that people will fight you over at any time, is food. <laughs> right? Right? I think that's probably like other than money, like you you're gonna die over some food. <laughs> like somebody, like you take go ahead and take somebody's plate. Go ahead. <laughs> See what's gonna happen. Right? So you have to crucify that flesh. You have to crucify that need for. Because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So you have to crucify your flesh and say, all right, I'm trying, if I want to build my faith, then and you're, if you're struggling in a specific area and you need to build your faith, then maybe you need to fast. Not to move God, because fasting doesn't move God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But to move yourself in a position to receive from God, to hear from God, and to 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 get your to break that chain of unbelief, right? Because sometimes we get into this place where we feel like we can do it all and we don't need God. And so when we get into that place where we're like, we don't need God, we don't need, we don't need him, that's our flesh. Your flesh says, I don't need anybody. As long as you feed me, 
put some clothes on me. I'm good. I got this. Right? So when you crucify, you like, flesh, you don't own me. So I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. And you keep playing with me. I'm going to fast for a week. Right? You can talk about a couple of hours. I'm going to fast for two months. Right? I'm going to be like, Jesus, 40 days. <laughs> right? So um, you have to crucify that flesh in order for you to, to build your faith. So how can we build our faith? You pray in the Spirit. So go to Jude chapter 20, verse 20. I always do that. Jude is only one book. The first book before, right? It's the last book before Revelation. Um, Jude chapter Jude verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That leads to eternal life. So what's another way you build your faith? Pray in the Spirit. By praying in the Spirit, you're building yourself up in your most holy faith. Everyone has been given a measure of faith, right? So we all have the same amount of faith. We've all been given the same amount of faith. This is like we've all been given the same muscles, right? The difference is that like, some people work out and some don't. And so... We're all born with muscles, right? We're all born with biceps, triceps, calves, all those different things. So what makes Alan stronger than me? Alan works out. Maybe I don't, right? So you, and you've seen this before. You've seen, like Bruce Lee, they talk about, like Bruce Lee was skinny. He was small, right? But they talk about he was probably one of the strongest people. Like he could punch you and send you, knock people back, you know, 20 feet, right? But he probably was like my size. What's the difference between him and me? He exercised. He worked out. He, he exercised his muscles to make him that strong. And so it's the same thing with faith. We all have the same faith, right? But some of us exercise it better than others. Some of us don't even feed our faith, let alone exercise it, right? So you, can, you ever try to go to the gym and, or, or do anything and you haven't eaten, right? And you're just like, man, I can't even get up these stairs right now. I'm so tired, right? So if you, it's the same thing with faith. If you're not feeding your faith, then your faith isn't doing anything. It can't do anything because it's weak. Your faith is, when you say faith is weak, it's because it hasn't been fed. It's not because you don't have faith. But one thing I hate, I hate the saying, I don't have the faith for that. I hear people say it all the time and it drives me crazy. I get so mad because it's like, you have the faith for it. The Bible says you've been, everyone's been given the measure of faith. You have the faith for it. But you just need to feed your faith in that area. You don't have the faith for it that in that area. So instead of saying, I don't have the faith and just relax, just sit there and relax. I'm, well, I don't have the faith for it, so it's just not going to happen. You have to go and you have to see what the Word says about it. You got to get, like PD says, you know, get two or three scriptures that you're going to stand on and say, huh, all right, I want this, whatever it is. I want this car. All right, well, what does God say about this? Well, he says that. You know, the blessings of the Lord make us rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Okay, I'll take that one. He says, you know, um, he says in Malachi to, to give the, bring the tithes to the storehouse and to test them, and he'll pour out the windows of heaven, right? So, okay, I got that one. And then, I don't know, get another one, right? Because when two or three gather together in the midst, you know, I mean, when two or three agree, let every word be established. So you get a third one, right? And then you put those up, and you confess them every day until you believe it. It's just like you can tell a lie so long that it becomes the truth, right? So, hey, in the beginning, you might be sitting here like, yeah, you know, the blessing of the Lord make it rich. And you're like, I don't really believe that, right? But you say it long enough, and you'll start to believe it. 
And then once you believe it, then, then your faith can move and work and God can move and work with you for you to get what you need. So don't, don't ever say, I put, don't ever say you don't have faith for something. Not having faith for something means you don't have the word on it. The word says people perish for the lack of knowledge. We can apply this to faith as well. Faith perishes for lack of knowledge. You can't believe God for something you're not even sure he wants you to have. If your faith is weak on something, then you need to get in the word on it. Find out what the word says about it and then feed, your, feed, on, feed yourself on it as long as you need to until you can believe for it. Oh, I did write it down. Romans 12.3 says, every man has been given the measure of faith. This means that we all have the same, been dealt the same measure of faith. The difference is some exercise our faith better than others. So two, two things like this. Kenneth Hagin says, you know, you don't want to just feed your faith all the time because then it's just going to get fat and flabby. Right? Same way with our bodies, right? We feed ourselves all the time, but if we don't exercise, we get fat and flabby. And then, yeah, we're big and we're, we're quote unquote, muscular, but, you know, you, you can't use it. You don't have any muscles. You haven't exercised. So you want to feed your faith and you also want to exercise it. You got to believe God for the $5 before you can believe God for the 5000 Right, so you exercise. You start off small, just like you go to the gym. And you start off with five pounds, and you work your way up to five hundred. Well, I don't know anybody. Maybe Brian. Well, I don't know anybody who lifts five hundred pounds. But uh, you know, you 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 feed your faith, and then you exercise, and you feed, and then you go back and you do it. It's a cycle, just like life. Right? You you feed, and then you exercise, and you feed, and you exercise, and you feed, exercise. Keep it going, and keep it going, and keep it going, and you get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And eventually you're like, man, there's nothing I can't do. You start to believe, like, there's nothing I can't do. There's nothing that's impossible for God. Because now you've exercised your faith to where you're like, wow, there really is nothing that's impossible for God. And so you start to believe that. Charles Cap said this, doubt is when you don't know what the word says on the subject. Unbelief is when you know what the word says and you choose not to believe it anyway. So most of us are in the doubt scenario. Like we always say, oh, you don't have you. You're in unbelief. You're in unbelief. But most of us, really, we just don't know what the word says on the subject, and so we're we're in that doubt. And so you can have, uh, I think Kenneth Hagin said, you can have doubt in your you can have doubt in your head and belief in your heart, and God will still move. But you can't have belief in your head and doubt in your heart and God expect God to do anything. He said it just give you a headache, right? <laughs> because he said in Mark um, Mark eleven twenty three, he said. He who, whoever says to this mountain, be taken and thrown into the sea and does not doubt where? In his heart. Not in his head. Because your head will lie to you. Emotions lie to you. Right? You know, circumstances and things will lie to you and, and get you out of faith. But if you believe in your heart, it doesn't matter what your head says. So you always, how do you get it in your heart? You continue to confess it, confess it, confess it, and confess it until you believe it. So my last scripture, actually, I think that was my last scripture. Um, oh, no, actually, this is my last scripture. So Romans 4, 16. Let's go to Romans 4, 16. Romans 4, 16 says this. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offering, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life for the dead, to the dead and calls into existence those the things that are that do not exist or 
I'm used to the King James that says, call into existence the things that are not. Right? So, everything depends on faith. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, you should. Um, Kingdom Living NJ. Kingdom Living Ministries NJ on YouTube. Um, PD did a series on the importance of faith. What is faith? And one of the things he said was, you know, our entire lives depend on faith. You got to have faith in something, right? Um, there's a saying that's been around for, I don't know, a long time. It says, if you, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? So it's the same thing with faith. If you don't have faith, you're going to have faith in something. You got to have faith in something. You got to have faith. You're either going to have faith in the word or you're going to have faith in the world. You're either going to have faith in the doctor or you're going to have faith in, in Jesus. You're going to have, you got to have faith in something. And so that's why he says it depends on it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. So he's talking here about, you know, the promise of Abraham depended on faith. The promise of Abraham depended on faith. If Abraham didn't have faith, then none of us would be here. Right? Because the promise of Abraham depended on his faith. Um, from the time where God told him when he was 80, 90 years old, um, that he was going to have a son to, I think they said, I was reading somewhere, they said it, it was like 15 years from the time where um, God told Abraham he would have a son and he actually had one. And he actually had Isaac, I should say, because he had a son, but not the, not the son of the promise, right? So that was part of his faith there. And then the other part was when he went up into the mountain to sacrifice, because God told him to sacrifice Isaac and he went up there. He had faith. He said, me and the boy will go up and worship and come back and return. So he had faith that he was returning. He, he didn't know how, but he had faith that either God was going to raise Isaac from the dead or he was going to do something. But he had faith in God that he was going to do that. And he was willing to sacrifice his son, which allowed God to move on Jesus and sacrifice Jesus as his son. Because he was like, if I, I see the faith in Abraham, I can do the same for my people. Right? He was willing to sacrifice his son. I'm willing to sacrifice mine. Right? So uh, I said all that to say, you know, get in faith. Get in, you know, build your faith up. Exercise your faith. Get in the word. Know what the word says about what you're believing for. If you're afraid of something, get in faith. Exercise your faith and know what the word says. Father, I thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you for this word that you have blessed me with um, to be your vessel and to speak through you. Father, I thank you for um, just moving on our behalf. I thank you for opening up our eyes to what faith, how faith and fear moves in our lives. And I thank you for that we are overcomers of the world. We have overcome fear as well. I thank you, Father, um, for speaking to your people in Jesus' name. That concludes this week's message. And thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Grand Cocos, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.